Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Noah Mills, thank you for sharing your story of life change. When you change your identity through Jesus Christ, it changes your activity. And I want you to know today is a PG, maybe eight or nine kind of sermon, so you have been warned for the last time. We're preaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians, line by line, verse by verse, where church likes to study the Word of God in such a manner, because that way you don't get to go around the hard stuff. Uh, You don't get to cherry pick the happy verses. You get to go through also the hard verses, and that's what we're doing today as we study this ancient letter to this ancient church at Thessalonica, and the words the Apostle Paul writes have never been more relevant to our time. We've called this the church of irresistible influence, the ancient church of Thessalonica. We desire to be that church today of irresistible influence. We have a two-year theme as a church called Irresistible. We're looking for ways to put God's love on display irresistibly in our city and around the world. And we've seen how this church was irresistible through this irresistible faith, irresistible hope, irresistible love, irresistible life change. They had irresistible influence beyond the region. They had a reputation. And we're going to see today, church, listen carefully, they were known for their irresistible holiness, their irresistible holiness. And I want you to see what Paul writes to them right here in chapter 4 and verse 7. If you have a copy of God's Word, open up. First Thessalonians chapter 4, he says these words in verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. In the ancient days, Thessalonica was under the shadow of the cult of Aphrodite. It's the first century. The cult of Aphrodite, Aphrodite was a goddess of fertility. She was one of the gods of the Roman pantheon, and she was known for her sensuality, her sexuality. She was worshipped, frankly, through sexual immorality and sexual orgies. Imagine worshipping a goddess whereby you are literally committing acts of ritualistic prostitution. That is the kind of religion the Thessalonians came from. But we learned in chapter 1 and verse 9 that God had delivered them from that idolatry to serve the true and living God who is holy. And here's the simple reality. If you choose to pursue a life that is holy in this age of depravity and debauchery, you're going to be irresistible to some, but reprehensible to others. You're going to be loved by God and sometimes hated by others. And these ancient Christians were hated by their neighbors. They were hated by their coworkers. They're going through intense persecution because suddenly they're not worshiping Aphrodite, then now they turn to the true and living God who is holy. And you can start to see why these ancient words are so relevant. And this ancient wisdom is for our time, for this new generation of Christians. Let's pick it up right here, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 1. Finally then, the Apostle Paul writes, Brethren, we urge you, exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And I want you to notice something. I'm not preaching today to those who are outside of Christ. I'm preaching for those of us who claim Christ. Paul didn't write this letter to the ancient pagans. He wrote this letter to the ancient church, ancient Christians. 
I'm not preaching today to the LGBTQ community. I'm not preaching today to those who are living openly in sexual immorality. I'm preaching today just the way this letter is written specifically to those of us who claim to follow Jesus, yes? So if you're here today or under the sound of my voice, I'm assuming that you really want to walk with God in a way that pleases God, yes? I mean, that's the goal of Christianity. We want to please the one who gave himself for us and died for our sin and rose again. And if we want to please him, we need to listen. Paul's going to tell us how to please God, the one that made us, created us, and came to save us and redeem us. He says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. One of the number one questions people have asked Pastor Phil through the years. Phil, how do I know the will of God for my life? Listen carefully. You know God's will through God's word. You don't have to wonder about the will of God for your life. Over and over again, you see this phrase in the New Testament. This is the will of God. What is the will of God for your life? God's will is known through God's word. We are studying God's word so you might know God's will. And what does God say? His will for your life is sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification, kind of a big word. What does that even mean? Sanctification simply means separation. God desires that you are separated from your sin and separated unto him. See, something happened in the moment of salvation. While you are in the world, Jesus delivered you from the world. <laughs> so that while we're in the world, we're not of the world. Sanctification, then, is the process of becoming more like him. You were born again as a child of God by faith in the Son of God so that you can become more like God, image bearers of God. We're here for one reason, to bear the image of God. Romans eight twenty nine to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's the process of sanctification, and it's a process. It doesn't happen in one sermon, one Sunday, one event. It's a lifelong process from the moment you place your faith in him to one day standing before him, everything in the middle is your sanctification, and it's a gradual process of becoming like him. Now listen carefully. If you want to be sanctified and separated to become like him, then you need to be separated from sexual immorality. And this is what God is telling the ancient Thessalonians living under the shadow of the cult of Aphrodite, where it was a culture sexually of an anything-goes mentality. Kind of like in the 21st century, and anything goes mentality. If we want to be like God, we've got to pursue a life that is holy in this age of debauchery, in this age of depravity. God calls us to be separated from sexual immorality to pursue lives that are holy. And over and over again, you see this in the New Testament. Now, we have forgotten, I think, in modern Christianity, the number one attribute of God is his holiness, Church, everybody knows about the love of God. Everybody talks about the love of God. Everybody sings about the love of God. Even those that don't know God talk about the love of God. But did you know that when you search the scripture, as God has revealed himself through his word, that for every one verse on God's love, there are seven verses on God's holiness. He wants us to be holy like him. And that's why you see, for example, Peter write in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. 
So what does it mean to be holy? When we talk about the holiness of God, we're talking about the sinlessness of God, the perfect righteousness of God. That's what it means to be holy. Say we have a holy God, to say that we have a sinless God and a righteous God, and the one that is holy now calls his sons and daughters to pursue lives that are holy. Peter says in all of your life, all of your conduct, uh, Paul says specifically in the area of your sexuality. He calls us now to holiness. Now listen carefully. This side of heaven, you're never going to be perfectly, sinlessly holy. That happens there. It doesn't happen here. But what I want you to see is that as you grow in your walk with God, as you grow in this process of sanctification, you are progressively not simply delivered from sin's penalty. Jesus has the power to deliver you now from sin's power. That's sanctification, deliverance from sin's power, not just sin's penalty. And what you discover as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit of God in your life in this process of sanctification, that while you will never this side of heaven become perfectly sinless, you will start to sin less. And less and less and less. Now stop praying God delivers you from temptation. Let me be very clear about this. This side of heaven, we will never be delivered from temptation. That happens in heaven. If you keep praying, God deliver me from this temptation, he might answer your prayer, but beware. Because for him to answer your prayer, you gotta be dead. (laughs) Because as long as you're attached to this body, uh, you're gonna struggle with temptation. We all do. That's part of being part of Adam's fallen race. As the fallen sons of Adam and the fallen daughters of Eve, we all will struggle with temptation. But Jesus promised that while you struggle with temptation, he has delivered you from the sin, that sinful action. Noah Mills was very clear. I want to thank you for your transparency and honesty, courageously sharing his own struggle with temptation. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to sexual immorality, we have all fallen short of God's standard. Not one among us. See, it's easy to look around and point out somebody else's sin. Like the Pharisees. Well, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I'm not like them. No, here, here's what I want you to do today. Take it within. Look at your own sin. Examine your own heart. Because when it comes to sexual immorality, there is not one among us that has been perfectly holy. We have all fallen short of God's standard. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what Jesus said? If a man even looks after another woman to lust after her in his heart, he has already committed adultery. You know why Jesus said that? Because he wanted to make it clear, we have all fallen short of God's standard which means we all need redemption, we all need salvation, we all, every single one of us, need the forgiveness of God and the grace of God upon our life. But I want you to see that we live at a time where people want the love of God, but they don't want the holiness of God. We live at a time where they want the grace of God, they just don't want the truth of God, yet twice the apostle John wrote about Jesus, that Jesus was a man full of grace and truth. You don't get one without the other. He was full of grace and truth, not 50-50, 100% grace and 100% truth. And I gotta tell you, listen carefully now, if you are rejecting the truth of God, you are not walking in the grace of God, you are in fact under the judgment of God. And that's why God says, be holy for I am holy. 
saith the Lord. What we are learning is very, very clear. The sexual immorality in the eyes of God is any sexual activity outside of marriage. And this is so important, Paul would say, abstain from sexual immorality. We need to define what is sexual immorality. This word Paul uses for immorality is the Greek word pornea, from which we get the word pornography. It's the same word Paul would use in Hebrews 13, 4, translated as fornicators. The word here is pornos, uh, which is somebody who acts out pornea, immorality. He says these words, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. What's he teaching here about marriage? Marriage is sacred in the eyes of God. Sex is sacred in the eyes of God. You know why? Because marriage and sex is a picture. God wants to paint a picture through the sexual union of a man and a woman in marriage. Everything God does in the unseen realm, he tries to teach us in the realm that is seen. And just like Jesus is a bridegroom, and we the church, Ephesians 5, is the bride of Christ, everything in marriage between a man and a woman is to be a picture of that spiritual union, that spiritual relationship between Christ and his bride, that's you and me. So it makes sense that Satan wants to hijack the picture God is painting through marriage. Paul's teaching in marriage, hey, sex is sacred, the marriage bed undefiled. But when you take that sexual activity outside of marriage become a fornicator or an adulterer. What is fornication? It is premarital sex, people who aren't married engaging in sexual activity. What is adultery? People who are married engaging in sexual activity outside of their marriage. Says God will judge it. Why? Because God is holy. See, if God doesn't judge sin, he wouldn't be holy. He would be corrupt like mere men. So he must judge sin. And he warns us ahead of time, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Somebody says, well, I don't like the lines that God has put in my life, especially in the area of my sexuality. I think I ought to decide what is best for me, and God should leave me alone to decide for myself. Yeah, have that attitude today as you drive home from church. Drive in whatever way you want to. Drive in whatever lane you want to. Drive whatever direction you want to. It may go good for you for a while, but I will promise if you don't pay attention to the lines the highway department has put on the highway, it will end in devastation. It's going to end in a collision. See, God is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to protect you and give something better to you. And so he puts lines in our lives specifically because he loves us. He hates sin so infinitely because he loves you so passionately. Don't live outside the lines God has put in your life. They're not there to oppress you. They are there to protect you. you. Guys, we are seeing it in our lifetime. See, we live at a time where, you know, we live in this enlightened society. Aren't you glad we have thrown off these old, outdated, antiquated laws of biblical morality and that ancient days of antiquity? And, you know, we're just more enlightened now than generations before us. Are you kidding me? Have you read the social science? We are the most addicted generation in the history of our nation, the loneliest generation in the history of our nation, all-time highs of worry and anxiety and depression in the history of our nation. We're not being enlightened and set free. We're a society going into captivity. 
It's true statistically. We've decided we can run in our own lane, and it's ending in collision. When you take sex outside of marriage, it may go great for a while. It may take years and years and years. But eventually, it's going to end in exactly the same way. How did Jesus define marriage? This is what we have to do now. Because our culture has decided we own marriage. We'll decide what it means. You understand, God is the author of marriage, not government. Culture is not the author of marriage. God is. Marriage is both a sacred and a secular institution. As a secular institution, society can do anything they want with it, and they have. But as a sacred institution, it will always mean the same thing. And a lot of people say, well, Jesus never even spoke into this. That is dishonest. That is disingenuous. Because Jesus spoke specifically into this in Matthew 19, verse 4. Now, once again, I am preaching this message in the way it was written to Christians. You know, as a Christian, what that means. We follow the words of Jesus, yes? We follow the teachings of Jesus. Here's what Jesus taught about marriage. They came to Jesus. They asked him specifically about marriage, specifically about divorce and remarriage. And when he gives the definition of marriage, he does not appeal to culture that is forever changing. He appeals to creation. In fact, he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now this answers several questions about how Jesus saw marriage in the eyes of God. First of all, marriage is between a man and a woman, male and female. Remember, because it's a picture, theologically it's a painting, and that painting has been distorted in our day. Because Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's not married to another bridegroom. He's married to a bride. That's the picture that God wants to paint in the physical realm to show us something about what is true in the spiritual realm. This is why same-sex marriage in the eyes of God is not marriage. It's a distortion of what God intended. This is why polygamy in the eyes of God is not marriage. Jesus is a bridegroom. He's not married to multiple brides. This is why divorce is a distortion of God's intention. You know why? Because as the bridegroom, Jesus is in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, it's a covenant relationship, not a contract that can be broken. This also ought to end any debate among Christians about the transgender issue. In the beginning, God created male and female. He did not make a mistake with anybody who has ever come out of the womb. He hasn't made a mistake in your life. Now listen, gender dysphoria has always been a thing. We need to have compassion with people. We need to have kindness with people and treat people with dignity at all times, regardless of who they are or what they're struggling with. But I want you to understand what Jesus taught. I saw a social media post just this week. Somebody said, the state does not have the right to govern my gender. 100% agree. The state does not have the right, but God does. God's the one who made you. He's the one who created you. And listen very carefully. Who I am is defined by whose I am. I didn't make myself, I didn't create myself, I did not give myself life. I do not have the right to define my identity. I don't have the right to define my gender. God already did. And Psalm 139 says, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you together. So I realize we live at a time where people will debate this on the outside, but it's time that Christians 
simply believe what Jesus said about this. This should not be that controversial among the body of Christ. Jesus could not be more clear. You don't have to have a PhD in theology. What did he mean by that? Just believe what it says. In the beginning, God created male and female. Sexual immorality, then, is defined as any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. It's a 16-year-old kid sleeping with his girlfriend. It's a 55-year-old woman sleeping with her boyfriend. Once again, we have all fallen short because if you haven't committed sexual activity outwardly, I can tell you personally, in the eyes of Jesus, I've already committed adultery. We all go through the same stuff because we're made of the same stuff. We all struggle on some level with lust. Once again, don't look out there. Look in here. Look in here. Sexual immorality is any activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Homosexuality is not compatible with Christianity. Sleeping with my girlfriend, even though we're not married, is not compatible with Christianity. Put a ring on her finger. Take responsibility. And I want you to see something that we need to remember. God does not consider something morally acceptable just because it feels natural. Yeah, this is the argument today. Well, it feels natural. I mean, it's the way I've always been. I was born this way. And because it feels natural, it must be morally acceptable. I mean, love is love. Church, I want to think about that. We, we live at a time now where morality is defined by cliches. And the American populace has lost all powers of critical thinking, rational thinking, for the sake of cliches. I just want you to think with me now. If you don't want to think biblically, think logically. Love is love. Imagine where that leads. Well, it feels natural, so it must be morally acceptable. Accept me. Because love is love. Imagine, I do this this week. Now, I've been married for 32 years to one woman. Imagine with me, because love is love after all. Pastor Phil falls in love with another woman this week. I love my wife, by the way, but I fall in love with another woman this week, and I bring the other woman home to introduce her to my wife, and I say, Krista, love is love. Now, I love you, but honey, I want you to meet this woman. I love her too. I'd like her to move in with us. You're okay with that, aren't you, honey? Because after all, love is love. And let me tell you what comes naturally to me. You've got your orientation sexually. Here's my orientation sexually. It would be left to myself apart from Jesus to romantically sexually pursue every single woman I lays eyes on that I find beautiful. That's what would come natural to me. And as long as I love them, then it's okay because it would come natural, which must mean it's acceptable. Let me ask you, church, 
Is my wife going to find that acceptable? Would you find that acceptable? I was hoping you would feel that way. Hey, more importantly, God's not going to find that acceptable. Phil, you're married. And love is not love, the cliche. Hey, what if I decide I love 12 women? See, that's polygamy. I could have a whole harem because that's my orientation as a heterosexual male. Don't tell me I can't. It's acceptable because that's what would come natural. Do you see the logic and where it breaks down? Where does it end? Let me answer the question. It doesn't end. Because when you change the line for one group of people, you've got to change and move the line for all the other people. And it's happening. Love is love. What are we going to do as a society when the pedophiles start making that same claim? Oh, you think, Phil, that would never happen. It's already happening. It's already happening. I can tell you over and over again of credentialed, tenured members of academia that are already arguing that pedophilia is just another orientation. And if love is love, then who's to say? So now you got 40-year-old men that are sexually attracted to 10-year-old girls, but I love them. Phil, it could never happen. Give it time. It's going to happen. Love is love. Think critically with me. Think rationally, not simply emotionally. Where does this end? It doesn't end. I was a first responder for eight years back in the 90s. Every single first responder and every single ER nurse in the city knows that bestiality is a real thing. Well, it comes natural for somebody. Thereby, it must be acceptable. You know what? Noah Mills, as a child of God, came to this conclusion. I'm so proud of this young man. What comes natural is not automatically moral. As a child of God, I'm a moral creature with a moral conscience and one day will be morally accountable to my creator, as we all will be. We're all going to be. Now, this is really hard. If this is hard to listen to, this is hard to preach, and I'll tell you why, because this hits close to home for so many of us here. I have lost personal friends over this issue because the other lie in society is, well, we can't disagree without being enemies. No, we may disagree, but I'm not your enemy. But the lie of society says, oh, if we disagree, we're automatically enemies and you automatically hate me. Not true. But I've lost personal friends over this issue. Many of you right now, dozens if not hundreds of people under the sound of my voice right now are managing the tension because there's somebody in your life that you love very, very deeply. Friend or family member that's LGBTQ, let me, let me say this, let me make this as clear as I can. You do not have to choose between loving your family member or your friend and loving Jesus. 
You don't have to choose between loving God's word and loving the truth and loving that friend or family member that's LGBTQ. You don't have to choose. We have to manage the tension of truth and grace at all times. Jesus is a man full of truth and grace. If we are Jesus' followers, we are people of truth and grace. And that's a tension we will have to manage for the rest of time. 100% truth, yet doing it with 100% grace. And there's no way we can do it without being called homophobic or transphobic or a bigot. Let me make just this clear. Phobias have to do with fear. Bigotry has to do with hatred. I fear no one. I hate no one. I love everyone. And today there is someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth. Because love does not lie. Love does not enable sinful behavior. And that's what Paul is now telling the Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, vessel in the New Testament is a euphemism of your body. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in this earthen vessel. See, our bodies were made of the dust, and to the dust our bodies will one day return. And so we have these bodies of dust, earthen vessels, and so Paul uses this euphemism, and he says, you better learn how to possess your vessel or your vessel will possess you. You better learn how to control your body or your body will control you. You better learn to let your body serve you or you will end up serving the lusts of your body. And you were made to be free. You were not made to live in captivity and sexual immorality and that merry-go-round of sensuality. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. What that means is you better be possessed by God because we're all going to be possessed by something. You've heard of demonic possession. Listen, I am Holy Spirit possessed. And as a child of God, you are Holy Spirit possessed. I am a man possessed. You see, I cannot be possessed by sin when I am possessed by him. And this is how you fight temptation because every single one of us are going to struggle with temptation till the day we die. You may struggle with same-sex attraction, yes, even as a Christian, till the day you die. In the same way, I'm gonna struggle with lust until the day I die, unclean thoughts, we all will. I want you to see what that means. It means in the end, I don't have to cave into my temptation as long as I am possessed by him. If I get possessed by sin, look out. The wage of sin is death. This is what Paul is now saying. You better learn how to control the lusts of your body or the lusts of your body are going to control you. Not in passion of lust like Gentiles who do not know God. You know what he's saying? You claim to know God, quit living like people who don't know God. And this is the worst thing I see happening in civilization today in the Western Hemisphere. It is not that godless people live like they're godless. It is not that non-Christian people live non-Christian lifestyles. It's those of us who claim to know Jesus and claim to be following Jesus. We have become Christian pagans. We are living like pagans while claiming to be Christians. And Paul is saying, stop it. I've called you out of that idolatry to a life that is holy. And it's amazing to me how many Christians that profess Jesus are saying sexual immorality is compatible with Christianity. 
It's a distortion of the gospel. It is a distortion of who God is. It's a counterfeit reality. It is a counterfeit Christianity. Any Christianity that teaches you, you can go to heaven while living exactly however you want on the earth is a false Christianity that has a false Jesus. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the New Testament. You know why? Because Jesus changes your identity. And when he changes your identity, he changes your activity. Thank God he changed mine, church. I'm trying to tell you, your pastor is not nearly as holy as some of you think he is because I know myself better than anybody here. And I know left to myself, if I was gonna do what was natural, instead of Jesus getting in my way and changing my identity, if I was gonna live my way, I would have been a repeater cheater of five-time adulterer. I probably would have been divorced five times in my life. Thank God Jesus got in my way. Where would I be? The question today is, will you let Jesus get in your way? Will you let Jesus get in your way like he got in my way? He saved me for me. He wants to save you from you. We live at a time where, you know, I'm just me being me. Yeah, there's the problem. That's the problem. No, it's not you be you. It's let Jesus be you. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Your sanctification is through submission of your mind and body to the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's an active presentation in the heated temptation. It's not enough simply to say no to the sin. You've got to say yes to him. You see the difference? You can say no, but if you're not saying yes, eventually your no will cave in. So it's about making an active presentation, uh, submission of my heart and my body, of my mind and my body. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here's another one of the cliches. It's a lie of our time. My body, my choice. No, as a child of God, it's not your body, it's his body, which means it's not your choice. I can't do whatever I want with my body. And in the heat of temptation, when my body is screaming, gratify me, get this for me, do this for me, feed me, feed me, feed me, I have an opportunity right then to choose what is holy or choose what is unclean. I have to say yes to him, and I am then a living sacrifice. I take rights off of my life, and I give them all to him. My body is not mine to give to that which is unholy. I will give my body only to that which is holy but then it goes to the mind. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The world is trying to conform you. Paul is saying, stop being conformed by the world. God wants to conform you to his thinking through the renewing of your mind. Which means when you're feeling what is wrong, you think what is right. Because we're all going to feel what's wrong. And in that moment, I need to think what is right. So your feelings can be 100% authentic, 100% wrong. If I meet a woman this week I'm not married to, and I feel attracted to her, I can't help how I feel. 
That's an authentic feeling. I find her attractive. Now I have a choice. Am I going to follow that feeling? Or am I going to follow God? My feelings are authentic. But it's wrong. We all go through this process multiple times in a week, maybe multiple times in a day. You decide. Will you follow your feeling? Or will you follow your God? Jesus did not come to affirm our sin and celebrate our lifestyles. He came to free us from our sin and change our lifestyles. That's why it's Pride Month. Again, it doesn't shock me that people that don't know Jesus act like and live like they don't know Jesus. What I find shocking right now most of all are those of us in the church. The problem is not out there. It's in here. The problem is not in the White House. It's not in the church. It's not in the schoolhouse. It's in the church house. As the church goes, so goes the nation. Where so many Christians are waving the rainbow flag, a counterfeit Jesus, a false Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to set you free. Jesus did not die a brutal, bloody, ugly death so that we can continue to live in our sin. He died a brutal, bloody, ugly death to set us free from our sin. Not so that we can continue living in sin. Are we kidding? We've We've completely distorted the gospel. He came to set us free and forgive us of our sin, not so we could continue to live in our sin. No, he is not affirming of sin, any kind of sin. And know as a child of God, you cannot continue to live in whatever lifestyle you choose. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become to, he's not here to let you continue your lifestyle. He wants to change your lifestyle to become like him. And I want to be as clear as I possibly can. This is not the church of the New Testament. This is not the church of biblical Christianity. This is the modern day cult of Aphrodite. This is not living proof of a loving God to a watching world. This is living proof of a false God to a watching world. It is living proof of a false Jesus to a watching world. And we are watching in our lifetimes. One of the signs of the end times, we are watching in our own lifetime what Paul called the great falling away, the apostia. One of the signs, he said, and we will get here in the second letter to the Thessalonians. He said, let no one deceive you. Don't be deceived. In this age of deception, let no one deceive you by any means for that day, the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. The first sign Paul said to look for is the falling away. The word here is apostia in the Greek, apostasy. What is apostasy? It is people who once had the truth, that had embraced the truth, that have now turned from the truth. Now, there have always been Christians that fell away. There have always been churches that fall away. There's always been pastors that fall away. But for the first time in 2,000 years, of church history, it is happening in mass, where 80% of American churches have fallen away into apostasy. They are mirroring paganism and Christianity. And it's one of the signs that Paul gave to look for of the second coming of Christ. A time of delusion 
Same letter, second letter to the Thessalonians. We'll be here in a few weeks. He says, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We live at a time already of delusion. Not just deception, but delusion. Now, when we get here, I'll tell you what I think the delusion is. There's gonna be a lie propagated in mass. And what Paul is teaching is there is a point in an individual's life or even a civilization where they cross the line and they have rejected the truth for the last time and God says, okay, you have it your way. You want delusion? I give you delusion. Church, I believe our civilization has crossed the line for the last time. Because we are seeing today delusion in ways I never could have fathomed. I don't believe transgenderism is the delusion Paul speaks of in 2 Thessalonians 2, but I want you to know it is delusional for a man to think he's a woman or a woman to think she's a man. It's a delusion. It's scientifically an impossibility. It's just true. Gender is not driven by body parts and hormones. It's driven by DNA and chromosomes. It's just, it's just a fact. And I don't hate anybody. I'll treat everyone with kindness. If I meet you, I don't care who you are. I don't care your life. I, I will treat you with kindness, compassion. But I refuse to go along with a lie. It's a delusion. It's a lie. And civilizations cannot thrive on lies. Lies take us into captivity. Jesus said, it's the truth that sets us free. Not only is it a delusion that a man thinks he's a woman, a woman thinks she's a man, but it is delusional that tens of millions and millions and millions of educated, rational, thinking Americans all applaud for them and then act like guys like me are the ones that are insane. That's what I've been called this week more than once, social media. You're an insane hate monger. I'm the insane one? Look, you, you can hate me, but I will never hate you. I will only love you. You know why? Because love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. You can cancel me, I won't cancel you. But today you've heard a man that loves you enough to tell you the truth at whatever cost. You think, oh, you know, Pastor Phil, pastor's this big, he's just trying to grow a bigger church. Yeah, well, if all I'm trying to do is grow a bigger church, this would be the dumbest thing I could do. No, I'm not trying to grow a bigger church or I wouldn't preach messages like this. I am trying to grow a biblical church. I am trying to fight for the truth. The truth is worth dying for. The truth is worth giving our life for. Will you stand up for the truth? Will you speak the truth? Yes, I know it's scary, it's risky. You wanna talk about hatred? For all Christians, get, you, know, you guys are a bunch of haters. No, let me tell you, I know about hatred. I know it's scary, I know it's risky. 
These Christians in Thessalonica, they were being persecuted for the truth. Is it so much that we might be persecuted just a little? That's why we study this ancient letter. Now the Spirit expressly says, 1 Timothy 4.1, in latter times, these times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. There is only one way that we can explain what has happened in our civilization in the spirit of delusion in the last 20 and especially even 10 years. It is demonic. It is satanic. You see, when you turn from the true and living God, you make yourself now susceptible when you abandon the Holy Spirit to a demonic spirit, a deceiving spirit. It is satanic what is happening in our land today. And I'm trying to tell you that if you will not be led by the Holy Spirit, you will be deceived by demonic spirits. And that is what is happening to tens of millions of people our friends, our neighbors, our family, our loved ones. Let no one take advantage, Paul says, and defraud his brother. You know what? Having sex with someone you're not married to is defrauding them. It's taking something from them that's not yours to take. As Christians, he says, hey, let's not defraud one another because the Lord is an avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. I'm trying to forewarn you. As Paul forewarned them, I'm trying to testify, to warn you, God will avenge sin. There is a payday someday. For God did not call us to uncleanness but unto holiness. His name is Dr. Christopher Yuan. He preached from this platform a number of years ago. For years and years and years, he was a practicing homosexual, living a militant homosexual lifestyle. Jesus got a hold of his life, changed his identity, thereby changing his activity. Today, he's a professor at Moody Memorial Bible College in Chicago, Illinois. Must read is something he authored, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, one of those profound things I've ever heard anyone say, the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, it's holiness. You may struggle till the day you die with same-sex attraction. I will struggle till the day I die with being attracted to women I'm not married to. Because I'm a man and that's all that I am. That's all that you are, this side of heaven. Regardless of your orientation, We need to define the win. Listen, if you're living a promiscuous lifestyle, the opposite of promiscuity is not abstinence. It's holiness. It has to do with the heart. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul writes to the Thessalonians, if you reject this word that I'm writing you, you don't reject me, the Apostle Paul, you reject God. You know what Paul's telling them? You can cancel Paul, but you can't cancel God. Today, you can cancel Pastor Phil, but you cannot cancel God. You can disagree with God, but I promise he's not changing his opinion. Today, he that rejects this word is not rejecting me because it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. You reject God. You choose. 
But when you reject God, I'll promise, you're not on the winning side. It's not going to end well for you. But concerning brotherly love, he says we ought to treat each other like brothers and sisters. If I'm not married to you, I'm not going to see you as a sexual partner. I'm going to see you as my sister. Ladies, Paul's saying, see, see other men you're not married to as your brothers. Like how gross to sleep with your sister. Concerning brotherly love, I have no need to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, wherever you live, whatever neighborhood. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. You don't have to answer everybody on Facebook that you disagree with. Sometimes it's okay to walk away. And to work with your own hands, quit being lazy, because people are watching, that you may walk properly toward those who are on the outside, that you may lack nothing. What Paul is saying is other people are watching that need Jesus. They ought to be changed by what they see in you and me. And it's true, listen carefully, a holy life might make you reprehensible to some but it will make you irresistible to God. God, I pray, oh God, that you would bring judgment to the house of God. That you would grant the church repentance. That God, you would gift the church with repentance. That you would call the church back to holiness. God, that you would forgive us, that you would have mercy upon us, that, Lord, you might stay your hand of judgment upon this land, that you would raise up a righteous generation, an end times army of sold-out, spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ that will stand for truth but be known for love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.